do you do? Welcome to episode 5 of The Private Citizen, your weekly data privacy podcast. My name is Fab and I'm uh, reporting from a studio just off runway 33 of Hamburg International Airport. Today is Wednesday, the 4th of March 2020 and we are going to talk about Google moving the data of, US, uh, of UK users to US servers. That's that's the topic for today. Hey, welcome back. Nice to have you again listening to the show. Um, I'm back myself. I'm just back from a uh, nice, lovely little holiday uh, in Cape Verde. Um, just off the uh, coast of Africa there, which was lovely and warm and... I wandered the desert, I swam in the Atlantic, it was great. And now I'm back, and uh, back and happy to uh, provide you with a new episode um, as scheduled on Wednesday, um, which I'm still hoping to keep up to deliver an episode to you every Wednesday. Um, yeah, and let's let's get right into that with a little sip of Earl Grey here. Let's get right into the show. Um today uh we're going to we're going to talk about something that was reported recently um that Google um after in the wake of Brexit in the UK will be moving the data from Google users residing in the UK to the US um from its uh subsidiary in Ireland which you know the Republic of Ireland which um is in the UK, uh, sorry, in the EU. <laughs> it's all these UK, EU, US. It's, it's confusing me already. Um, yeah, so they're moving uh, the data from the EU subsidiary to the US um, for UK users. But before we get into that, I think um, I wanted to um, give a short um, look back at uh, the last episode, episode four where I talked about TLS and its merits or sometimes even, you know, lack of merits for privacy, um, which I, I got some nice feedback on. That show seemed to uh, have been well received um, against some of my suspicions, <laughs> but uh, it looks like you, you liked it. I'm, I'm going to talk about the feedback um, as usual at the end of the episode um, but I wanted to quickly mention a new story that just broke yesterday, which is that today um, or tonight, um, well, I'm in in CET um, in the CET time zone, Central European time. So for me, it's like three in the morning. Tomorrow morning, Let's Encrypt will be revoking three million certificates, which is like two. 0.6% of all of their active um, certificates, I think, if I remember the number correctly. And this is because they had a bug in the software that they use themselves on their backend. If you, so if you run a server and if you use uh, Let's Encrypt to have a TLS certificate, you have like this software that um, you can use to to get a certificate for your domain and to renew certificates and that that's of course speaks with a, uh, a server 
uh, on on the Let's Encrypt side, and that server actually issues your server the the, the certificates. Now to do this, so I, I talked about on episode four. I talked about that what they actually um, check before they issue you the certificate is pretty much only that you are in control of the domain you want a certificate for. So uh, for me, uh, I have Let's Encrypt on, um, or my my hosting provider uh, has Let's Encrypt for Fab.Industries, which is my personal site and blog. And whenever it goes to renew those certificates, or when it first um, went out to, to you know to get the first certificate, it will Let's Encrypt will check if I actually control that domain. You can do that by putting like um a file on your web server but most people do it with a dns setting and um this the um so this like uh it's like a field you set in your dns that basically says yes uh hello let's encrypt you may issue a certificate for this for this domain um and now that I'm actually talking about this, I realize I've promptly forgotten what this uh, thing was called. So I have to quickly look it up. That is the CAA, Certificate Authority Authorization Field. And so um, Let's Encrypt has an open source project called Boulder, which is their infrastructure, you know, to, to do all this. And, and, and Boulder was checking. Um, and in certain cases, this it wouldn't check correctly. So an attacker would have been able to get a valid Let's Encrypt certificate for a domain that is actually not using Let's Encrypt certificates. For example, um, let's say you're with a different CA and so your your DNS records there would actually tell Let's Encrypt if it checked correctly that they're not supposed to issue a certificate for that domain, um, but that was broken um, in cases where so often, if you have a server and that has more than one uh, domain it serves, it Let's Encrypt will give you a certificate for all of the domains. And in those cases, it would actually not check the DNS records of all the domains, but just of one. Um, and like if you had four domains, it would check one record four times instead of all four of them once. And so they issued, well, they, they say it's very unlikely that anybody um, exploited that, but of course they don't know. Uh, the bug in, in Boulder in their software was found on the weekend, was fixed on the weekend, but it's been in there since July of 2019. So now they have to revoke all the certificates they that's been issued with this software while it was broken. Which means if you run Let's Encrypt, and that's the important point, and your server, you know, you manage your own certificates, not like me where I have like a hosting provider who does that for me, um, then you will have to renew your certificates. If you don't do that, uh, come tomorrow morning, my time, uh, there will be, your visitors will get a warning because your certificates will have been revoked and um, you don't want that. So I just brought that up because this is kind of plays a bit into the argument I talked about last time, which is all these people going, well, you know, TLS is now free and it's completely easy 
and you you know you install the software and it does everything automatically and you don't have to worry ever again and i couldn't have written a script better myself because this news coming out for this just in time for this episode for me recording this episode basically show that it is not that easy um as i said i think on the last episode it is great and easy and free if everything works but sometimes things break and then stuff fucks up let's just imagine um so if the private citizen was on https like with the tls certificate right now and if i had just been on holiday not last week but this week like this announcement came out and let's encrypt basically told everybody wrote people had infect uh, affected certificates and emails that you have 24 hours to fix this um and i was on holiday for more than a week and i didn't use the internet i think i could have but i didn't have a computer with me um, my phone was off the whole time um, which i did on purpose just you know to unwind and relax because i am on the internet basically 24 7 because that's my job so on a holiday i really don't want to do that um so you know that would have broken the private citizen for example um because where i you know my 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 fab industries would have been okay because i have a provider who you know who, who sorts that out for me but like on a on a site i have to maintain myself that would have broken and you probably would have gotten tls errors and people would have been um unsure about things and worrying and writing me emails for a week which i wouldn't have answered um because this broke and let's encrypt it doesn't have an interest like there the the certificates auto renew but um they are valid for 90 days and they only uh, start renewing them 30 days before they expire so if you just had a new certificate before this happens it could have been and you don't know about this you're like incommunicado or, or on holiday or whatever um this you know could have broken your website for for the next 60 days um in the worst case scenario and i just wanted to to bring that up i'm as i said last episode if you haven't heard last episode uh, please go and listen to it uh, obviously uh, privatecitizen.press is the website for this podcast it has a lot of information a lot of show notes and the show notes have have a lot of links and there's a link obviously to the last episode as well and listen to that because um, i'm very adamant about the fact that i'm not anti-tls uh it's just it's not as clear-cut you know basically you have nothing to lose as a lot of people make it out to be and this is this is a great example actually well it's horrible um, it's not good I'm, I'm not happy that this happened don't get me wrong uh, but it kind of underscores and <laughs> underscores my the point i'm one of the points i made really well anyway let's uh let's let's just move on from that and let's talk about the topic at hand which is google um as was first reported by reuters google moving user data of its uk users um to the from its subsidiary in ireland where it, you know because ireland being in the eu and the uk being in the eu until very recently um to its main company in the US. Uh, as as Reuters uh, reported a few days ago, 
Google is planning to move its British users' accounts out of the control of European Union privacy regulations, placing them under US jurisdiction instead, sources said. The shift, prompted by Britain's exit from the EU, will leave the sensitive personal data of tens of millions with less protection and within easier reach of British law enforcement. The change was described to Reuters by three people familiar with the plans. That's the new journalism thing, right? It's always, can't name your sources, it's always people familiar with the matter. <laughs> it's a big problem with journalism these days, but let's not get into that. Uh, Google intends to require its British users to acknowledge new terms of service, including the new jurisdiction. Ireland, where Google and other US tech companies have their European headquarters, staying in the EU, which is one of the world's most aggressive data protection rules, the General Data Protection Regulation, which is, you know, just a few years old. Google has decided to move its British users out of Irish jurisdiction because it is unclear whether Britain will follow GDPR or adopt other rules that could affect the handling of user data, the people said. Now, the question is, is this actually true? Um, what we know is that Google has, uh, as this report came out, confirmed that they're moving the data by uh, the 31st of March, so the last day of this month. Um... But I don't agree with Reuters' analysis. I think uh, The Verge had it much more right when they said um, the UK's privacy rules, or as they say in the UK, privacy, the UK's privacy rules are aligned with GDPR during the UK's current transitional period, according to the UK's data watchdog, the Information Commissioner's Office, so known as the ICO. Data protection in the UK is regulated by its 2018 Data Protection Act, which is the UK's implementation of GDPR. At the end of 2020, when the transition become come, when the transition period comes to an end, the ICO says the UK government's current plan is to bring GDPR into UK law as quote UK GDPR end quote. However, until a final deal is negotiated, it says that there could be changes to particular issues like the transfer of data between the UK and EU. The ICO confirmed that any UK user data is still covered by the UK's existing regulations. In a statement given to The Verge, a spokesperson said, any organization dealing with UK users' personal data should do so in line with the UK Data Protection Act 2018 and the GDPR, which will continue to be the law unless otherwise stated by the UK government. And that is, um, yeah, that completely makes sense. Um, because, well, well, we'll get into that in a bit. It is also completely in line with what Google itself said, uh, again, quoting from The Verge, Google maintains that it is not making any changes to its data protection standards for UK users. It says there will be no change to how it processes user data, no changes to privacy settings, and no change to the way it treats user information. Quote, we're not changing the way our products work or how we collect or process data, end quote, Google spokesperson Shannon Newbury said. Now, I'm going to go into that a little bit later if I believe that. Uh, spoiler alert, I don't. Um, but it is clear that the Reuters analysis doesn't completely bear out. I mean, there were a lot of headlines with like, um, Google is moving its data out of, uh, GDPR protection, which is, which, which is not, 
is not true, as far as I can tell. But to figure that out, uh, we first have to see what what's what what is what's going on here. We first have to be clear about the current uh, situation that we have. You know what's what 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 are the uh, the laws right now, and what will happen once Brexit is finalized. Um, it will. I should have probably said this at be- at the beginning of the show, but like it's not my goal with this show to explain to you what GDPR is and what it does. Um, I think, I mean, that is a very complicated topic. Or one thing I also need to state: obviously, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a privacy lawyer. Not a lawyer of any kind. Um, so don't take any of this here as legal advice. But there will be an episode or two or maybe a series in actually explaining what GDPR is and what it does. I think that's very important. And I will get into that at some point. Um, but this is a current topic that I wanted to cover before I'm, you know, while it's still interesting to everybody before I cover all that other ground. But I guess we will do that at some point, I'm pretty sure. Um, but let's look at the current situation. So currently, so the UK has implemented local law. So the way EU laws work, and a lot of people are not clear on that either, uh, often, I find. So the EU publishes these like legal, they're not like laws, they're more like guidelines um, that look like laws, but they're like guidelines for all the member countries to implement their own laws within their own like legal frameworks. And so the EU did this, so it required all of these member countries basically to implement these guidelines. And so all the member countries had to create or modify their own privacy laws. In Germany, uh, we had the Bundesdatenschutzgesetz, which actually lots of the GDPR is modeled after that. Um, Germany was obviously, because Germany being always a big uh, driver in, in privacy matters, was 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 very instrumental in Im- implementing the GDPR. Um, so we, we had that, and the Bundesdatenschutzgesetz was just like changed, you know, to, to comply with the GDPR. In the UK, um, they obviously uh, implemented their own laws, which are currently in effect, uh, which is this um, 2018 Data Protection Act. Um, and this this law... So basically, the EU GDPR will be in effect until um, the transition period is over. And the transition period is the period, I mean, we are clear the UK has left the EU, but they are still negotiating, the UK government still negotiating um, all kinds of rules and laws and legal frameworks with the EU. And until that is done, um, the GDPR is in effect in the UK. Um, and th- this is currently expected to be finish this transition period at the end of December 2020, but we have no idea if that actually will happen. So this means that currently, until a deal is negotiated, UK Google users are subject to UK regulations that basically implement directly the EU's version of the GDPR. Um, so you Google moving its user data out of the EU uh, to the US doesn't change this fact. It doesn't come. It does complicate matters a little bit, though, um, since they are moving the data from an internal EU, um, from internal EU servers 
to a country outside of the EU, so outside of the restriction of the GDPR, um, which under in the terms of the GDPR is is a uh, different, like a third party country, and so for the purposes of the current legal situation of UK users, they're moving that data to a third party country, and so from the 31st of March, when Google's moving that data to the date when the Brexit deal is finalized, this data of UK Google users will be subject to the so-called EU-US privacy shield regulations. Um, Under the GDPR, it works like this. Either your data is stored in the EU or in a third-party country. And then there is... There are third-party countries that the EU recognizes as having adequate protections, and you're allowed to store that data there, and then there's everybody else. And generally, you're not allowed to to store your data, the data of EU citizens um, under the GDPR, uh, in in any of these other countries. Now, the US is is a special country because it's not just it's not simply recognized as being an adequate country um this privacy shield uh these privacy shield rules mean that if a company is registered in the u.s think with the fcc as being under privacy shield then they have to you know they have all this cert- it's basically certification if you have that then you know, it's it's basically like being an adequate country, but not the same. There are certain rights that are guaranteed. I have a link in the show notes um, at privatecitizen.press, uh, show notes for episode five. And this only applies if the US company in question is covered by Privacy Shield, which Google currently is. So for all our intents and purposes, this data, um, basically data from, from UK users, but de facto currently under EU GDPR jurisdiction um, is now being stored under the EU-US Privacy Shield regulation in the US. Now the next question is, what will happen after Brexit is finalized? And both Reuters and The Verge are kind of alleging that Google is moving this data because they think that once Brexit has happened and the deal is negotiated, there will be different privacy laws in the UK. Um, so let's let's just assume that this is the deal is going to be negotiated. We're we're talking about first of January twenty twenty one. What will happen then? Now the current stance of the UK government, and this is like they're saying this will happen whether there's a deal or there's no deal. The current stance is, I mean, there's still that no-deal Brexit in the air, right? Um, The current stance is that the UK will implement its own version of the GDPR, which they're currently calling UK GDPR, which will will guarantee similar rights to UK citizens. Um, And I'm quoting here from the ICO um, documentation on this. During the transition period... The GDP during the transition period, the GDPR will continue to apply in the UK, and you won't need to take any immediate action. You should continue to follow existing guidance on the GDPR. The GDPR is an EU regulation, and in principle, it will no longer apply to the UK from the end of the transition period. 
However, if you operate inside the UK, you will need to comply with UK data protection law. The, the government intends to incorporate the GDPR into UK data protection law from the end of the transition period. So in practice, practice, there will be little change to the core data protection principles, rights, and obligations found in the GDPR. The ICO will not be the regulator for any European-specific activities caught by the EU version of the GDPR, although we hope to continue working closely with European supervisory authorities. So this basically means that if everything goes according to plan, the plans we have right now, there will be two virtually identical versions of the GDPR. The EU version of the GDPR, which we currently have, and you know UK Google users are covered under at the moment, and then a UK version of the GDPR. Uh, it seems prudent for these regulators and kind of likely that they will keep those two jurisdictions interoperable. So basically, we will, I, I guess, they will, if the UK really implements... Um, so the current plan is, obviously, the GDPR is full of like terms that specify European um, institutions, right? You can apply to the... Uh, you can... That is like European institutions that are um, tasked with policing all this stuff. And then you can, like, you can... You can complain to European courts and European um, institutions. And basically, the UK wants to change all that and change all the institutions, interchange them for UK-based uh, institutions, but keep all of the other rules uh, as they are. If they do this, it's, I think it's very, very likely that the EU uh, will recognize the UK under their version of the GDPR as an adequate country. And then they both will just, you know... Uh, will just recognize themselves as adequate countries and then both will basically from a data uh, protection standpoint UK people, users, internet users, citizens will basically be, still be under GDPR. It's all the same rules, it's just you don't complain to the EU when something goes wrong, you complain to your local thing, you know, your local uh, government office or whatever and that basically that is still the same thing like under german law that implements the gdpr you know there's you know there's 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 ombudsman man and 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 uh, you know uh, organizations that are tasked with with administering and 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 you know issuing fines and all of that like the local in germany it's like every uh, federal state has their own um, data protection officer and those are those are the people you you would contact as for example if you're a customer of a company and they did something wrong or there's a data leak or something uh, the companies would if there's a data leak the companies would contact that data protection officer and that's like different in every eu country so it'll by all intents and purposes it'll be the same in the uk it'll still be all uk institutions um that is is the plan if if everything goes like the UK government currently says, it's gonna go. It's Brexit, so we don't know. Um, but from what we know, that is how it's going to play out. So what what does this mean? This is the last point I'm gonna go into. What does this mean for Google users in the UK right now? So if you take all all of this into account, um, there's actually little change for UK users uh, from Google moving the data to the US on the 31st of March. 
uh, on the surface, it kind of looks the same because uh, you're still, as a UK citizen, uh, in the transition period, you're still under the um, jurisdiction of the EU's GDPR. But with this changeover, the data will be stored under privacy shield rules. And you will get the protections that are guaranteed with that. But in practice, they're just changes. It's, it's changes that drawbacks. And this has nothing to do with Brexit. Um, this would be exactly the same if, for let's say, using, if Google was, was, was going to announce today that it's, it'll move the user data of German um, Google users to the US. It would be the same thing. They would move that from the island service, which is in the EU, to the US, and then that data would be covered under Privacy Shield. Um, and it, the problem, the problem here is an inherent problem. Well, the the, the changes and the, the 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 problems one could imagine that come in for UK Google users are just problems with Privacy Shield. And Privacy Shield has has been since it since it was passed. Um, has been continuously under fire by lawyers uh, in the field, by privacy experts, um, for just being a poor implementation. And this this is basically has a lot of historical reasons because it's based on the uh, safe harbor privacy principle, which principle or principles which came before, which were you know uh, were negotiated long before GDPR. And they were criticized for several for for, for um, similar reasons, and this is why Privacy Shield is now also criticized. So, according to the critics, um, Privacy Shield only guarantees a certain subset of protections that the GDPR guarantees, and also it's very badly policed. Um, there are many unanswered questions, especially when it comes to uh, U.S. the U.S. government intervening and getting access to this data. Uh, so the question is, can law enforcement agencies or intelligence services in the US gain access to this data? If they can, what oversight is there from the EU? Um, and how are they prevented from gaining access anyway if they're not allowed to? And the, the problem here seems to be that the EU basically has very, very little leverage. Um, there is like a yearly review of Privacy Shield and what it means and what has happened. Um, and basically the last time this happened in 2019, lots of privacy uh, experts in Germany said basically the EU should have canceled Privacy Shield because stuff is just going wrong. Uh, but the EU doesn't want that apparently. And it just, you know, kept it going. And they even have a hard time checking. So under Privacy Shield, these companies that it applies to like google have to get 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 a certification they basically certify themselves and certify their um their the way they deal with data of eu citizens um they certify that to the fcc but basically nobody is enforcing that nobody's checking on that and Basically, what they're certifying is like the terms of service, as far as I understand it. So it's all like legalese. It's not actually, nobody's actually looking and what they're actually doing with the data. And that seems to be um, the biggest problem. So the EU has no leverage on actually enforcing that these US companies under this certification actually keeping up their side of the bargain. 
And this is especially relevant for UK users now in, in, in light of this move, because we know that the, the five eyes, um, so the intelligence services, um, there are five intelligence services, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, United Kingdom, and United States that are allied and that share data relatively freely. And we know from Snowden, from the Snowden revelations, that they use this to get around like legal barriers. So there are U.S. intelligence services uh, like the NSA and like the CIA, which are not allowed to spy on U.S. users on in the U.S., um, which is the purview of the FBI, which is another intelligence service. But they get around this. So and then it's like U.K. Uh, intelligence services um, like MI6, um, secret intelligence service. Um, which are not allowed to spy on a, you know, okay, this is, this is simplified, but you know, which are in, in some cases not allowed to spy on UK citizens at home. And these intelligence services go get around this by, and we know this from Snowden and from the Snowden revelations from the NSA's like internal files, they get around this by, so the U S just spies on UK users and the UK spies on US users and then they just interchange that information, right? And then, then it would be like they spy on their own users, except they haven't done it. The other intelligence service has done it. And so this could bring up the question if if UK Google data is stored in the US, can UK intelligence services or uh, even... Um, other government agencies like law enforcement agencies can they just get that so, so can, if they want data on the google data from some user um can they just get a u.s government agency to request that data legally from google which google might be required especially like under the new cloud act uh which they might be required to, or the patriot act or whatever to give to the u.s government agencies and they will then turn around and give it to the uk guys so that's that's the question and it seems like um it seems probable that this could happen so it seems probable that uk users will just be affected by the fact that such espionage is now made easier for us agencies which in turn uh then their allies you know uk services and and government agencies benefit from and it seems likely that come uh, 31st of March, that will be the biggest change. The biggest practical change for these users brought on by Google moving this user data. Um, the Guardian, just very quickly from a Guardian story on this, they seem to come to the same conclusion. They say, if British Google users have their data kept in Ireland, it would be more difficult for British authorities to recover it in criminal investigations. The recent Cloud Act in the US, however, is expected to make it easier for British authorities to obtain data from US companies. Britain and the US can also tr are also on track to negotiate a broader trade agreement. So th the other point they raise is, um, even if the UK has their own version of the GDPR, they could negotiate a similar agreement with the US where they, uh, no, no, not a similar, um, they could, and an, a separate agreement with the US where they say, yes, we will have like a, um, you know, 
criminal investigation collaboration you know to fight the pedophiles is what they will say publicly um we will have this law we will inter uh interoperate we'll work e with each other and then they accept that like they, they have an exception in the uk version of the gdpr for this law and that could happen that that obviously hasn't happened yet but like that is a thing we have to keep in mind for the future um now google saying we will not change all these rules and we will not change the way we treat user data that is like very very uh, like if you if their statement that, that i read out a while ago um that is very very broadly uh worded it's worded in such a way that they can actually do things that they haven't done before and they will i mean we know we know that data stored on u.s servers is subject to access by u.s government agencies that other data isn't like if i put data on a server in germany um it is so it's much easier for the fbi to go to the U to the u.s company and say well you know what did they always say in the movies like a uh, matter of national security flash their badge you know we need that data uh isis uh terror uh whatever you know what the current whatever the current uh scary thing of the day is right um it is much more likely that it's much more easier for them and po probable that they do that in the u.s in germany a german company will say what uh no we're german we comply to german laws you know you're the fbi you don't have jurisdiction right fuck off um so that's that's definitely a thing and i don't so google is has not addressed this and so i don't i don't i don't believe them at all and one of the big reasons i don't believe them is my last point here uh, to wrap this whole topic up is google could have prevented most of these effects um by just you know handing over the data i mean the the fact that they're handing over the data i mean yes it's it's actually i mean equals physical data that is on service but basically what we're talking here is just like uh f from a legally you know business entity responsibility standpoint right so now it's not Google Island Limited or whatever it is. It's now Google LLC in the US. And what they have a British uh, corporation incorporated in London, uh, Google UK Limited. And they could have just put the data under the control of U Google UK Limited. And then it would have been that that would have made sense if you're a UK user, right? Um, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to have it under eu gdpr because you're now having brexit and you know no matter how you how you your your um your position towards brexit is your personal position brexit has been done and now uk local uk laws apply and it would have made complete sense for Google to just put that under, you know, under those local laws, whatever they will be. And then if it's going to be a UK GDPR, it's going to be under that. And if it's not, it's not, not going to be that. Um, but I, I think 
you can see from the fact that I didn't do that and put that under the US that they have ulterior motives. And I mean, it's, you know, not, not mentioning the, not even looking at intelligence services and, and law enforcement or whatever. Um, Google probably wants less, wants lacks rules for the user data. They use that user data. They track people. Um, Google's business is based on privacy violations, basically, uh, to just, you know, say it bluntly. And the GDPR is not something Google likes, I'm guessing. Generally, whatever they say publicly, I mean, uh, it, it contravenes in, in, in a lot of respects, contravenes their business model. Uh, and I think what they're just doing here is, uh, you know, using this opportunity. Anyway, that's, that's my viewpoint. I have put some further reading into the show notes at privatecitizen.press if you're interested. Um, there is, uh, there, there's documentation on uh, the the GDPR at the European Union site, and then an interesting article called Brexit and GDPR uh, from the Law Society Gazette, which looks at Brexit and the GDPR from a UK perspective, and I found that enlightening. And maybe if you want to look further into this topic, um, you might find that interesting as well. And... You might have you might have your own opinion on this, and you might want to tell me about this. And as I always say on this podcast, um, this show lives from your feedback. It lives from your input, and I've been happy so far uh, during five episodes. Now I've had ample feedback. It's now the second month of the show, um, and I've so far I've had ample feedback from people. Very interesting stuff. Um, I'm just gonna shortly gonna go into. S- very interesting stuff I had, uh, you know, for people sent me for this episode. So, so please, please do. I, at the end of this segment, I will tell you how to get in contact. But obviously, uh, if you go to privatism.press, this all the contact information is on there. So, um, I had a nice email from Fadi Mansour, who uh, writes me quite a lot and is an avid listener of the show. And, um, he said he liked the word, uh, Datensparsamkeit, which I introduced, I think. In episode three, it's a German word meaning uh, be frugal with your data. Um, be careful, what, be mindful of what data you create. Um, and he also uh, added on the subject of TLS and privacy. So on episode four, uh, he says, I'm surprised uh, if you're getting s- such strong hate for it. So for me discussing that topic, uh, my assessment, swollen amygdalas, smiley face. And I probably have to explain that. Um, I'm guessing Fadi is a uh, fellow listener of the No Agenda podcast. And the No Agenda podcast has this um, this theory. I, I don't know if I actually subscribe to the biological... biological um, I don't know if this is true, but it it is a good metaphor for things. So basically, there is this theory that uh, the amygdala is a part of your brain that... Uh, is involved in you having an emotional response to things and having, uh, yeah. And, and there's this theory that no, no agenda and John and Adam often talk about, uh, that if you, um, if you get emotional agitated all the time, especially if you follow the news media and they're currently, you know, they whip you into a frenzy, um, 
because it it's good for them you know it brings some clicks it brings some attention so there's always a current thing that is trying to scare you or make you emotional which currently is coronavirus you know which is going to kill us all then it's like uh, you know it's climate change uh, the climate catastrophe it's australia's burning uh, there's always something and their theory is that if you are constantly stimulated by this and uh, there, there were i think there were some papers who suggested that you know some um biological research that um your um amygdala would swell up if that happens it it is constant constantly being simulated and it would swell and this would lead you to just to reinforce this behavior um so basically what it in 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 short it it kind of triggers your reptilian brain right you don't think with your civilized brain uh, where you th read something and then you think it through you just read the headline then you get emotional and, yeah, and it gets worse and worse and worse and why i'm not sure that this is a good biological like that that actually happens i think the phenomenon is real like whether your amygdala swells or not i think i like the term swollen amygdala because it's basically shorthand for this phenomenon that people these days they just do the headlines they just need something they get excited they get they get angry they start yelling on twitter before they haven't even understood or even thought about the current thing you know currently is everywhere panic it's coronavirus nobody thinks about the fact that it's actually not much worse than you know flu which we have influenza which we have every year um nobody listens to like um doctors <laughs> everybody's just ah oh, the media we're all gonna die um, and yes, I think uh, your assessment is quite good, uh, Fadi. I think that's one of the problems. Uh, people see, oh, he doesn't like, he doesn't like uh, uh, TLS. Burn him at the stake. Burn the witch. You know, basically, you have you have mobs outside your window going, Mr. Social, Mr. Social, come out here. We thought you don't like TLS. Come out, or we kicking the door. Basically, you have that thing you know that reaction going on in there i think that's that's probably good assessment um then i also had an email from martin Köhler who wrote me a, a, a nice email in in german which i'm so i'm gonna paraphrase here uh, in english for your um um benefit uh, he wrote me an email about i was talking about mixed http and https content and he actually ran some experiments with an ex, uh, example https site where he embedded an episode uh, of the private citizen which is served over https uh, over http from my server and he said so that's mixed content he said both firefox 72 and chrome 65 which you know to be honest is quite an old version but um both played the file without errors he said firefox gives me gives me a warning next to the ul bar chrome only warns in the developer console and he says this is because the audio tag is classed as mixed or passive display content and doesn't count as mixed active or scripting content as per Google or Mozilla's uh, documentation, which is interesting. That is something I didn't know. Um, I didn't know that audio. So I'm not, I'm not embedding via JavaScript. I just have like an audio element tag um, because that works in all modern browsers. And you know, why have scripting <laughs> if you don't, if you don't have to have it. Um, and uh, I didn't know that. Um, that's that's pretty cool. I, I will still not just move the... Uh, I think I'll just, you know, I'll just take the time off at some point and move everything to HTTPS. Uh, it'll, it'll be done pretty soon. Um, I didn't do that episode uh, to excuse myself uh, just so that the site can be not on 
uh, TLS for like a year or something. Yeah, just did that episode because I was discussing that with people on social media and I thought it was a great topic. Um, but additionally, uh, Martin uh, commented uh, on sites that are being served without TLS. Um, he sees that as a problem from his perspective because he says it's like um, the user loses a measure of control. The user visits a website uh, and is forced to connect via HTTP. Um, they don't know beforehand what JavaScript will be loaded, and uh, they'll have to trust that the server isn't requesting any confidential information over this of the unsecured uh, connection via this JavaScript uh, code. And um, so he says, in that case, uh, the user might might trust the person running the website, i.e. me, but they suddenly also have to trust everyone on the route of their traffic through the internet. And actually, I think that's, that is a valid point. Um, especially with the site like mine, where you like, if you go, it's configured in a way currently that if you do HTTPS, private citizen press, it just goes, you know, forwards you to HTTP, private citizen press. But I will have that solved. Uh, I, I, I hereby pledge that. I, that is definitely something that's on my to-do list. I just have to get around to do it. Um, if you have nice comments like this, or even, you know, if you want to yell at me <laughs> with your swollen amygdala or whatever, um, you can do so. There's contact details in the show notes at privatecitizen.press. And that's basically it for the show today. Now we come to the point where I beg for money. No, I'm not begging. Um, I've mentioned the uh, No Agenda podcast uh, in the show. And one of the things I've taken from them is the value for value model, which basically means um, if this show, if this hour I'm doing every week um, has helped you, you know, if you learned something today about the GDPR, uh, about the UK and about data protection, and if that is worth something to you, just think about maybe um, reimbursing me for that, whatever, whatever it's worth to you. And to do that, you can become a patron, you know, of my Patreon um, campaign, I guess. Um, there is a link in the show notes. And because Ali Buchan, who's also a listener uh, of the No Agenda podcast, uh, contacted, he contacted me on Twitter and said he doesn't want to bother with Patreon, which I can completely understand. He's just like, can't I just PayPal you some money to support the show? And I said, yes, um, We'll make this happen. And so I've created um, an email address that you can, you know, if you go on PayPal, there's also a link in the show notes and send money to an email address. If you put in producers at fab.industries, producers at fab.industries, so the TLDs.industries, that's my personal site. Um, it's like I'm freelancing business that I run everything under. Um, you can just send me money over that and you will, of course, get credit like everybody else. Um, under the value for value model, you're all producers, whether you like Martin, uh, just write me an email and send me interesting information that I can, you know, tell everybody on the show, whether you send me background links or something, um, that helps me understand the topic or whether you just, you know, uh, give me, uh, you know, a hint or an idea for a future episode. Um, so I guess this, uh, the idea for this episode came along because uh, Niall Donegan, um, he's a Patreon supporter, and we have this internal um, Discord 
channel for you know it's a it's a it's kind of a bit, bit like slack for gamers uh if you if you become a patreon supporter you get access to that which is just a side perk um but you know he sent me a link to this uh Reuters story originally which you know gave me the idea to create this uh make this episode um so you're all producers whether you give me money or whether you just help out with ideas um it's all very much appreciated and i like because you're producers um and because i am diligent in these things i like to thank everybody so uh the first person i have to thank as always is raul kabazali who uh, wrote and recorded the uh, theme tune of this podcast which i love and um from what you've been telling me you all pretty much y'all you all love too so that's great uh so he wrote this great song um and so i have to thank him and um I also have to thank Bytemark, who provides the server uh, free of charge to me where my audio files, you know, the episode MP3s for this show are hosted. They are at bytemark.co.uk, also a link in the show notes on privatecitizen.press, um, and they're great. Obviously, they provide you with this, provide me with the infrastructure to provide you with this content, so, you know, what's not to love? Uh, but above all, I would like to thank everybody who supported this episode of The Private Citizen, whether through Patreon or through PayPal. Um, and those people are Niall Donegan, Michael Mullen Jensen, Jonathan M. Heavy, Georges Walther, Dave, Kai Sears, Matt Jolliman, Fadi Mansour, Joe Poser, Mark Holland, Steve Hose, Butterbeans, Shelby Kruver, Dave Amrish, Viautas Sadaukas, Ricky M. Drive Zero, and also Ali Buchan, who sent me uh, money over PayPal to producers at Fab Industries. Yeah, and um, that's basically it for today. Um, I'm planning to be back next week. Um, no holidays planned for a while here. Um, as always, I, th I hope you uh, found this informative. Please give me feedback. Uh, on this show um, I that helps me very much um, you know on this show this episode on the whole podcast on the concept ideas you have anything you know just just contact me there are many many ways to contact me email Twitter uh, the Fediverse uh, I have a contact form for whistleblowers where you contact, can contact me anonymously as well so uh, you have many options and with that, I'd like to say goodbye. I hope you will be with me next week for the next episode of The Private Citizen. Until then, stay free, stay private, and don't let the law, be it the US law, the EU law, or the lawman from the UK, catch you. Don't let, don't let the law catch you, partner. <laughs>